Welcome to the Bluff First Podcast. We pray that this message would encourage and enrich your life. For more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com. My name is TJ. I'm the lead pastor here. Delighted that you would be here at Bluff First today. We are in uh, our fourth installment of a series that we started this month called Deeper Worship. We've been talking about worship uh, all month. Today we are talking about true worship and the kind of worship that God is seeking. We find this in John chapter four. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone or you have Google, come on. John chapter four, I'll be reading from the NLT or the New Living Translation. We're gonna read a pretty uh, good-sized portion of scripture today and that's where we're gonna hang out. Um, In John chapter four, Jesus describes a certain type of worship and he says, this is the kind of worship the Father wants. This is what he's seeking. How many know if Jesus says, here's the kind of worship God wants, maybe we ought to listen, right? So as we do this series, I I could not escape this passage, and um, and so we're going to talk about it today, and the kind of worship that he describes, I think, applies to the worship gathering, what we do when we get together at church, and we sing, and we listen, and we lift our hands and our voices and all of that, and then also how we worship in general. How many know all of life is worship? And we are always worshiping something or someone, and so we're going to talk about both. Here's the context of um, John chapter 4. Jesus' following uh, in Judea has gotten a little too big for the Pharisees' liking. In fact, um, Jesus isn't the one doing the baptizing. His disciples are, but his disciples are now baptizing more people than even John the Baptist, who had a huge following. And so that's not sitting too well with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. And so it's time for Jesus and his friends to skip town and to go uh, back to Galilee. And so that journey takes them through a place called Samaria. How many of you guys have ever heard of uh, the Good Samaritan? You guys ever heard that story before? That's not the story we're gonna deal with today, but if I just said the word Samaritan, many of you, the first word you would think of is good, and I, you know, Good Samaritan, and I would, propose to you that for a first century Jew, that is the absolute last word they would have ever thought of. The tension in this passage is thick. It's easy to just read it like a Bible story and not feel the weight of this, but there is major, major, major tension. You see, the nation of Israel at one point had been divided into northern and southern Um, kingdoms. We see that in our own American history. There was a north and a south at one point. And during that time period, um, the southern kingdom was taken into captivity. The northern kingdom, while they were away, while the south was away, the northern kingdom made some questionable decisions, um, including um, intermarrying with pagans and non-Jews. And so the true Jews, once they returned to Israel, um, they considered the Samaritans to be Um, lesser than Jews, to be half-breeds, to be um, mutts, basically. And so there's there's no love lost between the Jews and the Samaritans, and it's developed into these people are wrong. It's It's a religious tension. It's a racial tension. It's a regional tension. It is thick, and so to the point that their worship is segregated. They're not allowed in the same temples. And so the Samaritans said, okay, well, we'll build our own temple then, and, uh, and Jews altogether avoided Samaria, avoided Samaritans. In fact, if you go outside of the scripture and just look at um, history, 
um, there's a popular prayer of the first century that the Jews would pray, and um, in the prayer, it ends with this, and Lord, please do not remember the Samaritans in the resurrection. How many know you gotta hate somebody pretty bad that when you pray, you go, and also, Lord, forget about them, right? I mean, it's pretty harsh. And so this is the backdrop um, that we find uh, Jesus in walking into. There's a group of people, um, the Jews, that were keeping the law and trying to do everything right but missing the point. And so because of that, they're quite arrogant, right? And, and, and Jesus has been ministering among the Jews, but then now he's entering this area of, of Samaria where there's people who are breaking the law and doing and ignoring the law and doing whatever felt right to them. And so the Samaritans kind of rightly were assumed to be ignorant, and Jesus walks into that. So we have arrogant and ignorant. And if you can just picture, some of you guys are going to go to a family dinner on Thursday, and you're going to encounter both of those types of arguments, right? Um, arrogance and ignorance meet in this story, and they meet for us on Thursday afternoon, some of us, right? Um, but that's, that's the tension, that's the drama that Jesus walks into. And I love that Jesus is not afraid of this tension. He's not afraid of drama. He's not afraid of cultural taboos. He'll walk right into anywhere and talk with anyone. And uh, I'm grateful for that. John chapter four, verse six. So they've stopped in Samaria and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Now, he's stopping around noon because they're traveling, they're journeying. That's not a normal time to go to the well. You're going to go in the cool of the morning or the evening. And I think it's because it's the middle of the day when nobody else is there that Jesus is alone at the well and encounters someone else that's probably avoiding the crowds. Jesus sits beside the well, tired, and soon a Samaritan, this is already getting awkward, but not only is it a Samaritan, it's a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. Again, um, maybe not quite as understood in our day, but the tension there and the cultural implications is huge. Um, there's, a group, there's actually groups of the Pharisees called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees because if they saw a woman, even a Jewish woman, out in public, they would cover their eyes and keep walking and bump into stuff. So they were bruised and bleeding. So you avoid women, you avoid Samaritans. A Samaritan woman, <gasps> the horror, right? And so here's Jesus and a woman from Samaria comes to draw water, probably avoiding the crowd. And Jesus says to her, please give me a drink. And he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Verse 9, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She knows this. She's like, this is not a normal interaction. And she says to Jesus, uh, obviously, sir, you are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Like, we shouldn't even be seen together. And Jesus replied, oh, if you knew, if you only knew who you were talking to, if you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. And she took a look around and assessed the situation, and she said, um, sir, uh, you know when someone says, sir, how things are about to go, right? She says, sir, um, you don't have a rope or a bucket. This is quite a deep well. 
where exactly would you get this water? How would you go about getting this water? And besides that, you're bragging on this water that you would give me without a rope, without a bucket. Do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer water that's better than what him and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replies, anyone who drinks this water out of Jacob's well will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. And it becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. The woman said, that sounds good. <laughs> Please, sir, give me, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. That, that sounds awesome. And Jesus um, seemingly changes the subject. She says, yeah, I want that water. Jesus says, go get your husband. She says, um, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, that's right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And in fact, the guy that you're with now, you're not married to. You're living with a man you're not married to now, and you've had five husbands in the past. You spoke the truth. I love this about Jesus. He's not intimidated by sinners. He's not afraid of sin, but he's also not afraid to talk about it. He doesn't ignore it right? And so he, he, he addresses her right where she's at, and certainly probably uncomfortable, um, but realizing he knows something. He just read my mail. She says, sir, uh, I see that you must be a prophet. And there's some debate here about whether or not this is a sincere, heartfelt response from her or an attempt to just change the subject, but she, she says, you must be a prophet. So tell me then, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at this mountain where our ancestors worshiped? Maybe she's changing the subject. Maybe she's saying, hey, you're right. I've had five husbands. I'm with a guy that's not my husband. I don't have the best reputation. What should I do? Where should I go? How should I worship? What should I give? What should I sacrifice? How should I atone? What, what should I do? You're a prophet. Tell me what to do. Either way, the conversation changes to religion, a place, a building, a temple, a church. Where should we worship? And Jesus says in verse 21, believe me, dear woman. You know sinners are dear to Jesus. Believe me, dear woman, the time's coming when it'll no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Again, that would be so scandalous too for a Jew to hear that. It's not gonna matter. In fact, the time is coming and it's here. He says, you Samaritans, and, and they had only accepted the first handful of books of the Bible and ignored the rest because of when the kingdom split and everything. And so he says, you, you know very little about the one you worship. We Jews know all about it. Salvation comes through the Jews. We've always been the people of God and, and, and we've always believed the scriptures and blah, 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 blah. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. And this is, this is the thrust of our message today. When true worshipers will worship the Father What's that phrase that comes after that? You've probably heard this some, at some point in your life and maybe not had any idea what it means. Jesus says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way, for God is spirit, and so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And she's looking at Jesus about like you're looking at me right now. A little confused, maybe a little disinterested. And she says, "Um, well, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. I, I still don't get it, right? Jesus says, oh, the Messiah, that's me. The one you're looking for, that's me. Jesus says, I am the Messiah. And, uh, you know, nothing like making an entrance right in the middle of an awkward conversation. Just then the disciples came back, shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her, Jesus? They walk up on this interaction, and the woman leaves her water jar beside the well and runs back to the village telling everyone, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? What a story. Jesus engaging the land and the people that other people avoid. Tired Jesus, but not too tired to minister. Unafraid. Uh, of social taboos, racial tension, religious appearance, doesn't care what it looks like, explaining what kind of worship his father wants, explaining that he's ushering in a new kind of worship that's not confined to a certain place or even a certain people, not even the chosen people of God, Israel, but a new kind of worship that pleases the father, worship in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? That's the answer we want to um, provide today. That's, 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 that's the question we want to answer. Because if Jesus says the Father's looking for people who worship in spirit and truth, I want to be somebody who worships in spirit and truth. Amen? So, what does it mean? to worship? Let's look at truth first. To worship God in truth means this. To worship God rightly, okay, in the way that he wants to be worshiped, according to the truth about him, not just our perception of him, but the truth about him that he has revealed to us in his word. So God tells us who he is in the Bible, and he tells us how to worship him, and to worship him in truth, we need to worship according to what he says about who he is and who we are and how we are to approach him. We don't just worship him however, and we don't just think of him however, we think about the truth. To worship God in truth requires information, right? We got to know the Word of God. We have to know who God is. We have to learn about God. And so we care about that here at Bluff First. That's why, you know, we, we teach through books of the Bible. That's why we are picky about um, the songs that we sing. That's why the, the kiddos, the teenagers, everybody's learning about the gospel. We care about the truth. We don't worship God based on what, you know, your grandparents said about him. We worship God based on what he has said about himself. A lot of people um, have very little interest in God because they've been presented the wrong one. If they knew the truth about who God is, he's, he's nearly irresistible. If they knew the truth about how awesome he is and what he thinks about us and, and everything else, man, he is, he's much easier to worship. So we've got to know the truth about God. We worship a God who has told us who he is, and then our experience confirms that, okay? 
So in other words, God has told us he is good, he is patient, he is powerful, he is wise, he's caring. And then in life, as we followed him, we've seen that he's good. We've seen that he's patient. We've seen that he's powerful. We've seen these things play out, okay? So we don't have to know everything about God to be able to worship him. We can start right where we're at. Whatever we know of God is adequate, right, for where we are today. But we ought to always be learning more. We ought to, you don't ever retire from learning about God, okay? And we're all wrong about God in some ways. We all have wrong ideas and wrong perceptions. And so we don't have to just learn about God. We have to relearn about God. Or we have to unlearn things about God that we've picked up in culture or whatever. And so we're learning about God all the time. When we're in the gathering, we're thinking about who God is. When we're picking songs, we're thinking about what does the Bible say about, about this? Is this biblical? Is this true? When we're out in the real world and we're making decisions, they ought to be based on what does the truth of God's word say? The truth about God leads to true worship of God, okay? So that means the inverse is true. False ideas about who God is creates false worship, okay? Creates false worshipers, which is called idolatry, right? When you worship something that isn't God, a different picture of him, a different image of him, or something else that he's made, that's idolatry. It's not just when you bow down to a golden statue, right? And all of us are good at this. All of us are good idol makers. We are default worshipers. We're always worshiping. And without the truth of God's word realigning our hearts and our minds all the time, we will go out and worship lesser gods or lesser versions of our God. Some people worship success. Some people worship the American dream. Some people worship appearance, money, sex. Some people worship their family. They worship their children. Some people think they are worshiping God through religion but they're serving a God made in their image rather than serving God because they're made in his. They're not informed by the truth. This is so important that we worship God in truth. A.W. Tozer, one of the most famous um, quotes maybe ever about theology, says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It is the most important thing. You say, no, I think the most important thing is if you live a good life. The most important thing is how you treat others. The most important thing is, is how you take care of your family. No, the most important thing is what you think about when you think about God. Because at any given moment, the things that you're doing or the things that you're saying are revealing what you think about God. They're revealing what you really believe. All of us are moving toward a God in our mind, a God that we have pictured. And, and so here's the thing. If we think God doesn't care or God doesn't see or that behavior doesn't really matter, then we act like God doesn't care and God doesn't see and it doesn't really matter. If we think that God, if we've been given this wrong picture of God, that he's this genie God, this Santa God that just gives us whatever we want and he exists mostly for our personal comfort and happiness, then we'll live that way. We'll live like, well, this feels good, so it must be God. This doesn't feel, I'm not happy with this, so it must not be God. And we'll live that way and we'll worship a false God. We are moving towards God in one way or another. Here's the good news. We don't have to wonder what God's like. We don't have to worship a false God. We don't have to have false worship. We don't have to be false worshipers. We can know the true God. Now, certainly there's some mystery. How many guys, there's things about God you don't understand, 
okay? Yes, it's a long list. But God has given us adequate information about himself, sufficient for us to know him. In fact, well, first, we have three core values. We have three things we're hoping for, praying for every person that comes here. We want every person that comes here to be able to know God, share life, step up and know what God has for them. Know God is the first one. You can know God. You don't have to live off of somebody else's relationship with God. You don't have to live vicariously through anyone else. You don't have to, you know, uh, feed me, preacher. Every, you know, I don't have to feed you and, and, and give you what you need. You can know God for yourself. It, it really is possible, and it's necessary, right? The God of the Bible has revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus, and that's revealed to us in the scriptures. If you wanna know what God is like, you don't have to look any further than Jesus. And if you wanna know what Jesus is like, you don't have to look any further than the scripture. To worship God in truth is to worship the true God according to what we know about him that he's told us in the ways that he wants us to worship. You got it? Worshiping the truth is according to the truth. Now, Jesus doesn't confine our worship to merely the truth. Man, don't you just wish that if you just believed all the right things about God, if you just said like, yeah, 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 and checked all those boxes, that that would just automatically make you always do the right thing and make you always obey, right? It doesn't work that way. It, we worship in truth. We also have to worship in spirit. And this maybe one is a little bit you know, more interesting. Um, another way to say it might be head and heart, okay? Head and heart. We have to know God, but we have to know him in our heart as well. All these attributes of God, all these stories about God, all this stuff we know about God, it can stay up here. It can get log jammed. It has to move to our heart. And if it moves to our heart, then our spirit is moved by what we know about God and, and frankly, what we know about us and that God would want us anyway. That moves our spirit when we hear the gospel. That moves our spirit when we're born again. That moves our spirit um, the Holy Spirit kind of re-energizes and reinvigorates and recreates our spirit so that we are able to worship God in spirit. Let me say it this way, and it's not original, but through worshiping God in spirit and truth, we are able to think rightly and feel deeply. That's the goal. It's not just about being right, and it's not just about whatever you feel. We want those things to match up. We want to know the truth about God, and we want that to move us in our hearts and change the way that we live. Now, it is, um, it is natural. Most of us have a natural affinity for one or the other. Most of us are either head people or heart people, right? We, we go with facts, we're logical, strategic, or we, we have a gut feeling, right? We have... We, we follow our heart. Most of us in a worship gathering, some of us are like, man, when's he gonna preach? Got a Bible out, got the notebook out, ready to learn. Others of us are like, I wish he'd quit talking so the band could come back up there, right? And I could just feel God's presence again in this room with these people and this music and, and this coffee in Jesus' name. Coffee will help your worship sometimes, I think. Uh, I, I know it helps me at 9 a.m. Um, but... But think rightly, feel deeply. It, it's, it's, nor, it's normal for us to have one of those more naturally. Within um, certain churches or denominations, we, we see people lean one way or the other. And listen, it's okay to naturally lean. 
it's not okay to lean so far that you fall over into want, okay? So, so mostly truth people that have little regard for the spirit, mostly truth and little spirit leads to arrogance. We talked about that in the Pharisees, right? If your approach to God is just dry, uh, academic, homework, it, it's mechanical, your worship is just something you do, you go through the motions, it's legalism, right? And I've seen this, I've seen people, they're truthers when it comes to God, and they're afraid of emotion, almost as if it's evil, and God didn't put it in us and doesn't want anything to do with our emotions, he just wants our, our knowledge. Let me give you, sometimes it's easier if there's pictures, right? It's like picture books are a lot easier to read. Here's an easy mental picture. If we worship in truth only, we wind up looking like this guy, okay? We're robots. We're steady, we're programmed, we're dull and lifeless, all right? That's one option if we worship only in truth. But we wanna think rightly and feel deeply, and so as we correct and we try to lean back towards the center, if we're not careful, we lean too far the other direction, and we see this too. There are Christians that are mostly spirit, and they're all over the place, right? They're emotional, but they're shallow. And, and while the, the, the truthers might quench the spirit, the over-spiritual, they don't quench the spirit, they throw gasoline on it, right? And it's like a wildfire, and there's no boundaries. And so similar to the Samaritans, we see that most spirit, little truth, that leads more, not so much to arrogance, but to ignorance. I don't mean like ignorant in a mean way, I just mean like not knowing better because you're not guided by truth. And so you're expressive and you're spontaneous and you're passionate, but you're not grounded and so you're a roller coaster. And I've seen this, people that are 150 miles an hour for God or they're in the ditch, right? Because they're not grounded. And uh, let me, you know, please don't take offense to this, but let me, this is the best I could come up with. Here's my mental picture of the mostly spirit um, worshiper. Okay, relaxed. God is far out, you know? Maybe a little too relaxed. See, God doesn't want us to be robots and be mechanical in our worship where our hearts are far from him, even though our lips and our actions are all in line. But he also doesn't want us to be hippies, okay? He also doesn't want us to be such free spirits that we wander away from the truth. He's looking for worshipers who worship head and heart, spirit and truth, people who care about the word of God and what it says and the truth of God, and they're careful with it, and they want to obey the word of God, but people who also care about the presence of God and are moved with passion for God. This, this is not just the gathering. We're not, we're not just talking about what happens in this room, but all of life. You lean one way or the other. The robot will make their faith all about following the rules, right? And so if they're following the rules, they feel really good about themselves. If they mess up and break a rule or do something that's outside the program, they'll really beat themselves up over it. The, the robot will have a small circle of people that's welcome in because, man, I don't want to get contaminated by, by all of these loosey-goosey people that are gonna break the rules around me. I gotta, I gotta control things. The robot will you know, feel proud of their performance or they'll feel pathetic. Now the hippie will make their faith all about their feelings. 
and all about what they feel God is telling them to do in the moment. And they'll have a huge circle. They'll let anybody in, but they'll never challenge anybody because there's no truth, there's no conviction. And where the robot will have a really hard stance on sin, uh, whether they're obeying it or not, the hippie will, will just live their truth and, and anything goes, right? This is not what God's looking for. He's not looking for ignorance, arrogance. He's not looking for cold, lifeless, or a forest fire. He's looking for people who worship in spirit and truth. And I'm so grateful that right in the midst of this tension of Jew and Samaritan, arrogant, ignorant, religious, irreligious, in walks Jesus. Whether it's to the stuffy religious Pharisees or the scandalous, sketchy Samaritans, Jesus is not intimidated, and he offers a different way. He offers a different alternative. It's not about the temple. It's not about the mountain. It's not about the rules. It's not about the race. It's not about the religion. It's about what happens within you. I'm offering, Jesus says, I'm offering living water that wells up inside of you and springs into eternal life, that wells up inside of you, that, that when you know the truth about who I am, even though I know everything about you, we see it in that story, he knows, he knows everything she ever did, but when you know the truth about wh who I am and what I've come to do, man, this, this satisfies something in you like nothing else ever could. And it spills out of us into worship. Jesus moves us in truth and in spirit. There's no religious expression, there's no worship style that can offer you living water. Jesus has living water that changes you from the inside out now and forever. forever. There's, not, there's not a building that can do that. I've, I've stood in some of the most beautiful cathedrals in the world, and, and sometimes they're awe-inspiring, sometimes I've felt nothing. And I've felt God in a Kia Spectra. <laughs> like, it's not about the place, right? And, and I love this. Some of us get so hung up in our past, our reputation, our sin, we think Jesus doesn't want anything to do with me. But Jesus is able to meet you right where you're at. Your sin's not too big for him. In fact, he already paid for it, if you would receive that. Your questions, she's got big questions. He's not afraid of the questions. He approaches us. He pursues us. He invites us. He talks and initiates conversation with us. And if we know him, if we learn who he is, we find living water. I love that she left the jar. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure she drank water again, right? But in that moment, when she got a picture of who Jesus was, oh, this is the Messiah. He knows me, he's, he's still talking to me. She all of a sudden was not so worried about the water that she came to the well for. She left her jar and she went to talk and tell everyone about this Jesus. Listen, friends, some of us have been running to the same old wells, trying to satisfy something inside of us. We've been running to the same old relationships, the same old things, trying to satisfy something in us. We're like, uh, sailors at sea that get so desperate and so thirsty, we drink the ocean water only to find out it just makes us more thirsty. 
and we're so dry, and we go into the same thing after thing after thing, and we have not found what we're looking for. Jesus has what you're looking for. And listen, it's not gonna be found in a changing of your circumstances or a season of life. It, it is so easy for us to be so discontent with the season that we're in and to always look ahead and think when we get there, we'll be happy. When we're kids, we think, when I'm a big, cool teenager, I'm gonna be so awesome. That's gonna be so awesome. And then you're a teenager and you're like, when I can finally drive, get out of this house, right? And then you get your driver's license and you find out you're the new runner for your family. You gotta go to the store and take your siblings everywhere. You gotta do, and you're like, man, when I get out of this house, right? And then you get out of the house and you get a little minimum wage job or you go to college and you're eating ramen noodles all the time and you're like, man, this is, I wish I was still in high school, but when I, when I get a real job or, or when I get married and you get married and you think, oh man, well, this isn't going that great, but when we have kids and then you have kids and you're like, well, when they get out of diapers, we'll be good. And they get out of diapers and they turn 12. And you're like, and you're like, when we get out of this phase, if we make it out of this phase, right? And then it's like, oh, when we're empty nesters, we'll be able to try. Listen, listen, your joy is not going to be found in a changing of the season of your life. Your joy is, comes from within. You need living water inside of you. And look, when you have that, you can face anything. You can deal with the diapers. You can deal with the teenage driver. You can deal with the difficulties of work and the complexities of college. You can deal with singleness. You can deal with whatever if you're satisfied in here, you don't need anything from those wells. And Jesus offers us that. Pastor Nate, if you'd come. This morning, you can come to the fountain of living water. You can come and drink and be satisfied. And the one who knows everything about you loves you anyway. So here's the question. Are you a true worshiper? Jesus says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, the Father's seeking those kinds of worshipers. He's seeking, he's pursuing, he's inviting, he's drawing, he's initiating. Jesus says, be with me, talk with me, follow me, take my yoke upon you, let me give you rest. Listen to me, take my words, abide in me. Jesus is drawing us. And the thing is, the more we know about him, the more we love him. The more we love him, the more we just want to express it, the more we want to obey, the more we want to worship. And that word worship, it, it literally is worth-ship. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a term describing value. When you value something, you don't hide it, you display it, right? Now, you know, you might put something in a safe or whatever, but when you want people to see what's valuable to you, you display it. And similarly, you don't display stuff that's not that valuable. I, look, I've been in a lot of houses. Um, I've never seen a china cabinet displaying paper plates. Just never seen it. Nothing wrong with paper plates. They have their purpose. We don't display them, right? This morning, I want to invite you to consider the all-surpassing value of the knowledge of Jesus Christ to think about what 
he's like to think about what he says about you. And as you find that treasure and you remember that glory and that beauty, put it on display. Worship God. Jesus is worthy of our worship, amen? Jesus is worthy. Listen, we see who he is. He is who he said he is. And we see that in his word. We see that in the story today. He's worthy and worthy to be praised. And he's welcoming normal people just like me and you with problems and hangups to worship him in spirit and truth. Stand with me if you would. Jesus, we want to worship you. We want to worship you. That's what you're after. That's what you're seeking, Father, is worship from our head and heart. Not about our performance, but yours. And we can sit here and talk all day about why the five marriages didn't work out for her. That's not the point. The point was, here's Jesus and a chance to know him. This morning, you don't have to do enough religious tasks to make up for your past. You don't have to prove yourself religious enough for God's presence to come and be with you. You simply have to surrender and say, here's the guy who knows everything I ever did, and he loves me anyway, and he forgives me anyway. Man, what great worth, what great value I find in that. And so I put it on display and surrender, and I worship in spirit and truth. Would you do that this morning? Would you just think about God and who he is? Man, he's so much more than we even think. Like, he, he's here. Think about God and what you've done in your life and, and what he says about you anyway. It's unbelievable. It's scandalous. And then respond. Respond to that. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you need that living water inside of you, grab somebody, find somebody to pray with. We would love to help you in that journey. But man, let's just lift up some worship right now. Let's just lift up our prayer. Let's just pour out of that living water. If that water is inside of us, if that living water is in us, let's let it bubble up and spill out into praise and into worship. Let's just pour it out right now, even in our own words. Jesus, we love you. We lift your name. We lift we lift our hands to you. We lift our hearts to you. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy, Jesus. Meet us in this place. Accept this worship that we bring. Feel free, guys, to come to the front if you want to worship or pray or spread out, do whatever. Find space to be with God for a few minutes this morning. We love you. We lift your name, Jesus. Jesus, we worship you. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For questions, prayer requests, and more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com.